The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, episode 477 for Sunday in the morning, December 1st, 2013. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac of Jack. Hey, how you doing? It's the Mac Observer's Mac Geekab. We're here to answer questions, share tips, share cool stuff found all on a snowy morning for me anyway, here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in uh, cloudy, maybe snowy. I, don't, I, I didn't see it in the weather report. No, not this week. Uh, if you're from Connecticut, John F. Braun. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It, it, there's like it, we had like a, a dusting of a, 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 not even a dusting of snow. But uh, but yeah, you know, it was uh, something to wake up to. I'm hoping they'll pick up my leaves, man. They haven't picked up my leaves. I was supposed to have them out Monday. Last Monday, I heard this Monday. I had them out. The horror. Like, yeah, the like, horror. We'll pick, we'll pick. Well, it was horrible because we had not only rain, but we had uh, some high wind events. So, of course, the bags tipped over and blew in the street and stuff. And maybe I should have just yeah. left it that. But, uh, so we're. Yeah, we're, it's just un- unsightly. We're, we're, we've uh, finished with Thanksgiving, but, <laughs> but we'll, we'll wish a happy Thanksgiving to, to everyone, uh, even though we just finished that. And also happy Hanukkah to every, everyone that, uh, that, that enjoys right. that celebration as well. Yeah. It was thank. Yeah. It was, uh, I think yeah. the next will be in 70,000 years. Yeah. It's uh, something crazy. When the t- yeah. When the two overlap. That's right. Yeah. 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 And you, you, uh, you posted some, uh, I posted some pictures, which uh, I thought were nice, but, uh, but you took the cake, man, or rather took the bird yeah. with your uh, contraption there. You, you, you should post the, I, I, I think you had plans for your, uh, frying apparatus. Right? We did. We, uh, <laughs> this year we decided to, <laughs> to fry a turkey. And, um, and so, uh, it was my brother's idea without question. Um, but, uh, but he had found this. There's a chef, uh, a fairly popular chef by the name of Alton Brown. And uh, my brother found plans. You know, the problem with flying a t- frying a turkey is or frying anything that large is you're dealing with a significant quantity of hot oil. Uh, and so we, we fried it outside on a, on a you know fryer. And I had done this once before. I think I mentioned it in a previous show, uh, but I had done it not myself, but I'd witnessed it being done and I'd eaten the results. Uh it, it tailgating at giant stadium, I don't know, 10 years ago. And, um, and it was crazy. These guys, they brought a Turkey fryer and all the oil and a Turkey and we fried up the Turkey before the game. And then we went and watched the game. And then we came out of the game and we actually made Turkey soup with, with everything that was sort of left over. Um, but that, that was crazy tailgating But this, this time we did it ourselves. And so you have to be careful, uh, putting this bird in and taking the bird out, uh, that you're not, you know, exposing yourself to spattering hot oil. And so the natural uh, solution to that problem is to build a turkey derrick, wherein you use the appropriate rope and pulleys and connectors with, uh, you know, an appropriate support. And from a safe distance, you can lower and raise the turkey uh, uh, without any trouble at all. And so uh, into the show notes, we will put a link to the plans that Alton Brown, this this chef uh, published for a turkey derrick. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's what, that's what we did. And it worked out flawlessly. 
It, it really was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess disaster strikes, from what I've heard, when people don't realize that, uh, that well, that I think uh, having too much of a temperature differential, like putting a frozen turkey in boiling hot oil, that's almost a recipe for that. That's certainly a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's the temperature diff, and also the you're mixing too much water and oil, and and oil, like buttwheat tay, oil and water don't mix. So, you know, you got to uh, you, you got to make sure that your turkey is dry when you put it in. Uh, I mean, it's still going to spatter a little. And when you when you lower the turkey into the oil, you must do so with p- great patience. And that's much easier to do when you've got the mechanical advantage of rope and pulleys, as opposed to just holding a 14 pound turkey, you know, at arm's length, slowly lowering it in um, that that's a mechanical disadvantage. So, uh, so yeah, we totally Rube Goldberg this thing and, and we put up safety cones around it as one does. Um, and uh, it was fun. The, it was a, it was a total blast. The, the one thing I will say is that uh, it was from a geek standpoint. It was fantastic. We used the eye grill thermometer. One of the things you have to do is, you know, the Turkey fries up really fast. It's about three to four minutes a pound to get it up to, uh, to eating temperature. Uh, but, uh, but they say after 30 minutes, you've got to pull the thing out and check the internal temp, uh, which, which obviously you have to do, but we didn't want to have to take it out. So I had my eye grill and, uh, and we put the eye grills probe into the appropriate spot on the Turkey. And then we hung the eye grill off of, uh, you know, just on the ladder there. And of course, then it syncs up to my iPhone via Bluetooth, but you can see it right on the eye grill as well. And that kept us from having to guess at all about cooking time and, and any of that. We just watched the temp rise. And when it was time, we took it out. Um, so so from a geek standpoint, it was fantastic. But from a family gathering standpoint, um, it split the family in two because we were cooking, you know, half of the meal outside and half of the meal inside. So for a Thanksgiving thing, I'm not I'm, I'm not sure I would recommend it. Uh, certainly not in a colder climate where you have to have the windows closed. But uh, but for like a summertime thing, it would be awesome if you got everybody outside hanging out and then you can cook this turkey. The one problem with that is you have, you know, whatever, five gallons of of 350 degree oil. So if everybody is outside, you need to work very hard to make sure that kids and and, uh, adults with too many uh, enjoyable beverages don't stumble into the area where the turkey is. But well, uh, I like your you, you even had the, the tiny little uh, uh, cones. That was my son's Orange idea. Cones. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good idea. I, it was a great idea. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. The other thing we did, which you didn't see in the pictures, was we took my my brother's um, van is uh, Highlander or whatever it is. And um, and we put it between the wind and us because it was really windy on Thanksgiving here. But um, but, you know, the same the same cooker apparatus we'll use for steaming lobsters in the summer and and uh, or boiling or whatever we wind up doing. So um, so it was fun. I, but again, I don't know that we do it for Thanksgiving again, although we might, it, you know, but there you go. So that's the but from a, like I said, from a geek standpoint, check out the plans for this turkey, Derek. It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, so and I and I posted I posted some pictures of our um, of our uh, uh, our particular implementation thereof on my Instagram channel. So I will I will link to that for your turkey viewing pleasure as well. But we have a we have a show to do, right? Mm-hmm. Right. We're not the we're not the turkey yeah. Food gap. No, but it was from a geek standpoint. Like I said, we, we even oh, used the, the apparatus was very. Yeah. It was it was a, a, a incredible, a impressive feat of engineering. It was, yeah. 
Yeah, we had we had my dad, my brother and I out there pretty much the whole time. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, all right. You know what? I, I want to talk about our first sponsor for this show, John, which is a new sponsor for us. And uh, and I'm actually very excited to have them on board. It's a company we've talked about before, although the product that we're talking about today is not something we've talked about before because it's relatively new. And the company is Mackie. Uh, Mackie, in fact, we've been talking about for a long time on this show because the mixing board that I use here to mix the show, the Onyx 1220 is a Mackie board. Um, we've talked about the, the iPad mixing board, the DL1608 that, uh, that I also use, but, uh, what we're talking about in the sponsorship for this month, and you'll actually hear us talk about this twice and I'll tell you why. Uh, is Mackie's new MR MK3 series of speakers. And there are four speakers in the uh, series. Uh, a speaker, there, there's the MR5, the MR6, the MR8, and the MR10S. Uh, the five, the six, and the eight, uh, these are all desktop speakers. Um, they, uh, they call them studio monitors, but I, you know, my, my feeling is certainly you could use these in a studio. But you could also use them on your desk or, or even on your bookshelf um, kind of thing. They're, you know, they're they're uh, they're they're engineered for listening to music. Uh, they, they, they come in different sizes. They have the uh, the five inch, the six inch, the eight inch and then a 10 inch um, with a uh, 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 which is the subwoofer. So uh, the way it works is you buy the speakers individually. Uh, which may seem a little odd, but actually, if you needed to replace one, doesn't seem so odd at all. Uh, and it is possible you may be in an environment where you don't need a stereo mix. You simply need a single speaker. And we do that like with our, you know, our Sonos stuff in the house or whatever. So uh, so that that's certainly possible. You buy them individually and for the month of December. So starting today and running the entire month of December. So through Christmas, right up until the point at which we tip the clocks over uh, there are discounts available and the discounts uh, run from $20 per speaker off to $40 a speaker off. So even for a set of MR five MK threes, which are the five inch ones, and they're sending me a pair of these to test out so that I can tell you about how they actually sound next week. Uh, you can get 20 bucks off each speaker. So it's 40 bucks off. The speakers themselves are, um, I've found that the minimum advertised price is 149 before the discount. So you'll be able to find these speakers for 129 a piece. Uh, I'm very eager to check these out. Uh, everything that I've read about them, they, they're all wood cabinets, um, which really helps warm up the sound. You know, the, the difference between a plastic cabinet and a wood cabinet and a speaker to me is a huge difference. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, for me, it would be akin to the difference between a plastic drum and a wood drum. You've got this resonance chamber and wood just has a warmer resonance. So uh, so that's that's where it starts for me. Uh, they've got uh, custom tuned ports on them to uh, to to hone the, the low end sounds out. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm really excited. I, I like the way they look. They've got a kind of a sleek black look to them. And uh, and price wise, you know, for two forty a pair, effectively two fifty a pair. Sorry, I'm doing my math in my head here, uh, and it's early in the morning. Uh, you get some, you know, what what I believe are going to be some really great, uh, uh, nice, you know, five inch speakers. So uh, five and a half inch speakers, whatever whatever that works out to be. So uh, they've they they spent hours when they built these things listening to all 
kinds of different music and tuning these speakers to be built for listening to music. So uh, music fans or even podcast fans, you want to hear the, uh, the, the, the resonant dulcet tones of John and I appropriately, you want, you want to make sure you have the appropriate speakers to do so. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to checking these out. So you can, you can go look them up online. We're going to talk about them again next week after I have had a chance to, uh, to listen to them. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it, but you can check it all out at the, 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 the discounts. So again, 20 bucks off on the fives, 25 off on each of the sixes, 30 off on each of the eights, 40 off on the subs. So, you know, you could get, uh, uh, you know, uh, doing the math here, you could get a hundred bucks off if you bought a pair of MR eights and a sub, right? Cause it's 30, 30 and 40. So very, very cool stuff. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to checking them out. Uh, the, the deal is off is available through any authorized Mackie dealer. So you do not need to buy these from Mackie. If you have a particular, uh, vendor that you prefer, as long as it is authorized Mackie and there are tons of them, uh, then you will also benefit from these discounts. So check them out. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, of course, to Mackie's site about these, where you can learn all about them. And, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit more about them next week. So that's, uh, that's Mackie with their MRMK three speakers and that's uh that's where we start that so john uh we have uh we have a question well actually we have a tip from mark let's start there mark says i had a problem with my ipad fourth gen running ios 7 no keyboard clicks would happen and no lock sound at all i restarted it i changed the volume all of the obvious things didn't work I did some Googling and it turns out if you go into general settings first, then general, then accessibility, mono audio needs to be cycled on and then off and then all was good. So that's a that's one of those interesting little quirks at getting things to kick back into gear. I've, I've had people have this problem and have have seen them, you know, wipe their iPads clean and and come back around to, to fix it. So it's nice to know that if you poke that particular switch, it, uh, it solves the problem. That's a good thing, right, John? Uh, versus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I remember one I had in the past. Yeah. I wanted to complete it here. I remember, cause I don't think I was able to complete it, but, uh, I had a similar thing where my, uh, touch ID registration failed. It didn't work during setup when I installed iOS seven. And then, uh, I abandoned it. And then when I tried to do it again, as soon as I tried to register, it would say, nope, nope. It would just immediately go to the screen saying, I, I don't understand your fingerprint. The solution to that problem was to power down the iPhone, power it up again. That fixed it. Dude. So let's talk about this touch ID sensor on this thing. Uh, the good part about the, the, the success rate that I've had with it is I am no longer in fear of someone chopping off my fingers to uh, uh, for the purposes of unlocking my iPhone in the future, because there is no way they'd be able to get it to unlock because I can barely get it to unlock with my own fingers. Mm. Yeah, it it it, it kind of sucks. Um, I, I, I don't know. Ha, have you been having good success with the because you have a five S nearly? Uh, yeah. So I in, in my case, I registered uh, both my right thumb and my left thumb. OK, Um. And so I'll use my thumb to unlock it. To me, it's just the most natural, at least for me, that's the most natural finger based on the way I hold the phone. Me as well. Yeah. And um, unless unless my finger is at an extreme angle, that's the only time I've seen it, you know, do the head shake. No, try again. 
Um, other than that, no. If, uh, the, the other thing is that you got to, when you're registering, I mean, they encourage you to do this. So I'm wondering if you may want to actually do additional. I mean, they encourage you to actually put your thumb at, at you know, odd different angles. angles. Yeah. Because I think it helps uh, enhance the profile. But I, I think the problem in your case, Dave, well, well I think in your case, uh, but people that do a lot with, um, with their hands, mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, you being a drummer, I think you, I, I think you've, uh, yeah, proven uh, or, or you're a you're a, a, a case where it may not always work reliably because I think your fingerprints may kind of change. That's possible that that's that I've heard a lot of people. A lot, there's a lot of people that have similar results as me. And and like you, my thumb is the thing that most often I find, you know, uh, my migrating to the lock switch or to the to the button rather. So, yes, it is my thumb. One thing that uh, that uh, Michael Johnston from not my, sorry, not Michael Johnston from from get Appler, uh, although we love him. But uh, Michael Johnson from Pixar suggested to me what on Twitter was to register each of my thumbs twice. So you can put up to hmm. five fingerprints in the uh, into touch ID on the iPhone. And uh, and he said he was having trouble and, and someone else passed this advice to him. But uh, but yeah, if you go. So there's a couple of things you do. Go into general or settings, general touch ID and passcode. You enter your passcode to get in there and then go into touch ID and you can register up to five fingerprints in this. So I have both thumbs registered twice and then my right index finger, which is the other finger that I use registered once. You can rename each of your fingerprints um, in here. Uh, and I think my problem with touch ID is it attempts to continue learning after I've trained it. And I believe that that actually for me is what gets it out of sync because right now my left thumb still, I did this Friday night. So it's Sunday morning. Now on Friday night, I I went through and and wiped out all my fingerprints and, and re added them all. And that, and when I re add them, they work for a few days and very reliably, and then it gets worse. So I think the relearning process or the, the adaptive learning process is what's causing me trouble because right now, when you go into that touch ID section, when you float your finger on, uh, it shows you which finger it thinks you just placed on the sensor. And on Friday night, you know, I registered left thumb one, left thumb two, right thumb one, right thumb two and right index. And uh, and on Friday night when I did it, every time I'd float either of my thumbs over, it would show me the one, you know, the first thumb, left thumb one or right thumb one. I couldn't get it to show me left thumb two or right thumb two. Right now, when I'm doing it, the only thumbs that show up are the twos. So it has learned itself out of being reliable on the thumb one and uh, on, on either hand in just a matter of days. So and again, you may be right. It could be to do with I haven't I haven't played a whole lot in the last couple of days, but uh but, you know, I do have calluses and, and so my, my fingerprints probably aren't as um, as, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit glossed over because because they're, you know, because there's a callus over them. So maybe maybe that's the issue. But I wish I could just tell it, learn my fingerprints as I'm showing them to you now and stop trying to get better at it because it gets it, for me, it gets worse. But anyway, so there's oh. there's your advice and you can oh. rename them in that screen. Your fingerprints are okay. are renameable on that screen. Well, the only other advice I have for you is, um, let me, let me see, how can I put this? Well, I'll just spit it out. Go. Oh no, I'm not going to spit it out because that's rude. But, um, uh, 
your fingers are not the only appendage that you can use to register Touch ID. All I'm going to say is people have experimented with yes. uh, other appendages. I'll I'll leave it at that. But um, to keep it clean, I would say that they'll actually be inconvenient. I mean, when I, when I registered, to me, the thumb is just natural. Any other finger. Yeah, it doesn't really work because I typically hold it with my other four fingers. So <laughs> what's left? <laughs> right. Right. When, when, if my phone is down, like flat on a table, my index finger is the one that I use. So that's why I registered oh, my okay. right index. But yeah, but that was just a, you know, a, a thing. But again, my right index finger is also kind of involved in this whole drumstick holding callus scenario uh, somewhat. So, yeah, that's good. So but yes, yes. As uh, and I will say hello and a big thank you to everyone in the chat room, including Big T, who suggested that what John meant by additional appendages was toes. It let very, yes. very inconvenient because you've got to remove your shoes and socks if you live in a warm or in a colder climate. But uh, but but certainly totally doable. And thank you for saving us from any additional mental imagery. Uh, well, people have tried other things, but you can do. Why don't we why don't we move on? Uh, you know, in the yes. last show, we were talking about uh, iCloud keychain. And I think we're going to wind up talking about this a lot more. Uh, the the But iCloud keychain is Apple's new multi-device um, password store. Well, password storage and more, right? And uh, and one of the things that's great about it is its passwords are integrated into mobile Safari on the iPhone, uh, unlike LastPass or 1Password, uh, which have their own dedicated apps on the iPhone, but do not link with the default web browser on the iPhone because no nothing can link with the default web browser on the iPhone. That's just the way that works. But iCloud keychain can. And so I, I have a feeling that's going to become something that there, there's a Holy grail scenario, you know, kind of painting itself here that, uh, that we want all the features of like one password or last pass, but we want them all integrated into mobile Safari on our iPhones and iPads. So as iCloud keychain gets better, there may be reasons to sort of migrate into that. Uh, for those of us that have been one password or last pass users for a long time, however, and, uh, it, the, um, Let's see. The the thing we talked about last week or the question we had last week was about secure notes uh, for as long as I can remember, John, we've been able to put secure notes into uh, the keychain using the Max keychain access app. And there was a question whether a secure note put into the iCloud keychain, which is just a separate keychain in keychain access on your Mac, would those sync to other devices? And the answer is yes. Now. Oh, the only thank you yes. for doing that. You know, my my pleasure. It's it's what because I, I only have one Mavericks machine. Right, so I probably create a VM. Yeah, to test yeah. that. But you have multiple machines, so thank you for that because it let me do it. And I thought, well, if it lets me do it, then mm -hmm. it should be syncing it with some conditions. Well, but here's the here's this. This is the interesting part, right? I was able to check it on my other Mavericks machine. I launched Keychain Access. I looked in, but there was a note, and I had put a very clear thing in so that when I checked it days later, I would remember I actually put the name of the computer that I was sitting at when I typed it in so that I knew, OK, I'm looking on my air now and it's not, you know, the, the note says iMac in the office. So, yay, you know, uh, this worked. Now, you said that you don't have multiple Mavericks machines, but you certainly have multiple devices syncing iCloud keychain, most specifically your iPhone and certainly passwords put into your iPhone uh, or into your Mac sync to your iPhone's key, iCloud keychain and are usable there. But to this, at this moment, I don't know of any way of accessing secure notes. 
in the iCloud keychain from the iPhone, though I would bet money that they are stored on your iPhone as everything synced to iCloud is. Hmm. Uh, Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure. Well, you know, if I dug in with a tool that let me look at the data. Yeah, maybe maybe it is. If, if there is a because a lot of the data, if you use, a, you know, there are various utilities that let you dig into the file system on the, on the machine. And I'm I would, you know, I'll have to investigate that. Yeah. It may, in fact, be stored somewhere. The only problem is iOS at this point in time does not give you a way to see. There's no UI. All of the things in your iCloud, uh, iCloud keychain, they make, uh, they, you know, as you pointed out, you can certainly access certain things that are synced in the iCloud keychain, like, you know, your uh, Safari passwords. But um, right. we're not the secure notes. So uh, maybe they'll enhance that because I, I honestly, it's not a feature that they advertise. There's something you should expect to work, but it hmm. let me do it. So I'm like, yeah. No, I would. So maybe they'll enhance iOS at some point to allow you to view those secure notes. And I really, I, I, um, I've been a one password user, as I mentioned in the last show. I'm, I'm sort of curious about trying LastPass now that, uh, you know, some of the features have changed. And several listeners have pointed out that I could export my password library from one password and import it into LastPass. Or perhaps there's a Firefox plugin. But there are ways of getting my data over that aren't overly painful. So I might experiment with that um, perhaps during a little downtime. Uh, and and see how that goes but uh but again you, you know the the secure notes thing is something i've found very valuable i only have maybe a dozen of them in uh mm. in my one password but it is totally handy to be able to put some data somewhere that i know is synced amongst all my devices but is also encrypted on each device uh or decrypted on the device as the case may be but is never stored in a decrypted state uh, i really like that um, you know, I, I use, uh, maybe I shouldn't talk about what I store in these things, but, uh, I use Google's, uh, uh, two, you, two, you, you, can, you can tell me, I know. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to tell I, John, I, I tell just give, give it, give us a minute here. Uh, so John, I use Google's two factor authentication, right. And, uh, which is great. But one of the things that you get when you set up two factor authentication is you get, uh, a series of what they call, you know, uh, single use passwords. And, uh, and that way, if you can't get the two factor authentication work, cause the two factor authentication requires you to use the iPhone app or it texts you something, you can use one of these, uh, 10 one-time passwords that it has assigned to you as opposed to going in and assigning an application specific password and all that stuff. And, uh, and so I store my 10 passwords in a secure note in my iCloud keychain and or sorry in my one password file and then that's you know it, they're just handy and on all of my devices even if I'm offline because this stuff syncs with iCloud and so it's all there so that you know there there are some cool things you can do with this um and not just for Google's things okay we can bring everybody back in now John now that now that I've told you this so it's good John will now stipulate that I use it for a cool purpose I think mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, speaking of, are we done with that one? I think we are. Right. If, speaking, I think so. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. A lot of us had really wanted it for, for a long time and then they finally delivered. Yeah. I'm, I, I would love to, like, like I said, you know, kind of introing the, the topic, I would love to be able to move to iCloud keychain simply because I know it always will be available in um, mobile Safari. At least until Apple kills off iCloud Keychain, and remember, they did kill off Mobile Me Keychain, 
until it resurfaced as uh, as iCloud keychain. And that's not a bad thing. So. All right. What do you what do you got, John? Speaking of securing, why don't, why don't you intro our, our little Wi-Fi unit here with. Uh, uh, yes, because uh, we got an email from Bob. All right. And here's what, and I'm glad Bob wrote in because I'm, I'm worried about Bob. And I'll tell you why, Dave. So Bob writes, I use a Belkin router with Wi-Fi and have been using only the MAC address control for security on my hidden network. I did so thinking that this was more secure, provides less difficulty in making client connections and less connection overhead than using WPA. I now have a long list of devices with just about everything using Wi-Fi today, and keeping this list up to date is becoming burdensome. Was I right in my original assumption in using MAC address control? Am I now better off dropping the MAC address control method and start using another security method like WPA? Okay, so first to explain a couple of the acronyms here. So MAC address control, what is that? Every device... Um, has a MAC address, and this is not MAC like Macintosh. This is media access control. And what it is, is it's a big honking uh, hex uh, number. I believe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, 12 hex characters. Okay, and it's pretty much every device has a unique MAC address, or every, should. Every, every hardware, hardware interface. Device. So, for example, your Mac, your, <laughs> your iMac, would have two, right? Because it's got an Ethernet port, which has a right. Mac ad- interface, and it has a uh, airport uh, card, which has it's a, a separate Mac address. Correct. And and for uh, on an iPhone, for example, you probably have at least two. One would be the Wi-Fi interface. The other is the Bluetooth. Interface. That's right. So your iMac so, actually has three. That's right. No. So network interfaces. Yeah. Uh, uh, all network interfaces have a unique. Mac address. Well, one cool part is that you can determine, and I'll, I'll dig this up, is that there are certain ranges assigned to certain vendors. So looking at a Mac address, you can determine who has manufactured the device or the chipset that offers the networking service. You can also use it, and this is where I got kind of nervous when he wrote this in here, and also it can be used, I, I don't know if I would say this is a security feature, I guess you could. So the thing is you can set up Wi-Fi access points, whether they be from Belkin, or Apple, or pretty much from any vendor, you can say only allow devices with this MAC address to connect to me. Right. Okay. And I would say that's a level of security because being able to guess that number. So one, it would be pretty impossible for you to guess some guess the MAC address of someone's device. Um. um yeah. 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 Normally, you you normally. couldn't just look at it and figure it out. Sure. You would either have to get your hands on it or and this is where I'll, I'll get into the discussion here. So um, uh, now the other thing he says he does is that he hides his network, which means he is not broadcasting the uh, SSID or the name of it. Which means it doesn't that, show up when you hold it in, your, in when you when you look in the airport. Normally, menu. normally, okay. Right. So normally, if someone has a computer and they scan for Wi-Fi access points near them, normally it will not show up. Um, and I would say that those two combined are okay. No, I'm going to say they're terrible. Okay. <laughs> well, t- well, yeah, tell if, us if, why if, they're if, terrible. Well, I mean, if, we, yeah. if you're, if you're in the middle of nowhere, then yeah. I would say that that's probably okay. Okay. So it still makes me nervous because here's the one problem. So he said, uh, so I'm assuming here he's not using 
something like WPA. Which no, is, no uh, encryption. So no encryption. And that to me is the problem. So number one, let me, let me encapsulate here. And, and uh, which is that there are three ways uh, that John just discussed securing your network uh, in depth. And I will go, I will, I will summarize them. Number one is hiding your address so that people don't see it in their list, which keeps people from trying to select it because, because they don't know about it. Security by obscurity. Number two is saying is the Mac address, hardware limitations saying only these devices or devices that advertise themselves as these are allowed on my network. And to most casual users, changing that address is not easy or possible. Although it is very possible for pretty much any of us with a little bit of uh, command line foo. And I think that's where we're going to go. And then number three, which John introduced at the end is adding encryption and a password security to the to to being able to access it. And I, I think that's where you're going to go with this, John. So go. Yes. So he's not using any sort of encryption. Right. And that is what concerns me. So if someone were to uh, run a utility that can monitor Wi-Fi signals, they would be able to see everything that he's doing. Okay. Yes. So that's, right. that's bad. That's bad. Right. <laughs> now there are a couple of Encryption methods available in most equipment here. Now, one is called WEP, Wired Equivalent Privacy. And as kind of the name implies, it gives you the privacy, which would be equivalent to what is on a wire, which is none. Right. So don't use it. WEP is very weak and easily cracked. So do not use WEP. If you're going to use anything, use WPA, which is Wi-Fi Protected Access, or WPA2 is a, I guess, better version that has stronger encryption. Yeah, so yes, I would not use WPA. I would use WPA too. But both WPA if it's available, and, and web, but yeah, have been proven. Right, but if all you have that. is WPA, then that's better than uh, certainly preferable. Yeah, here, yeah if you have WPA to use that. Here's the thing about web to remember: uh, while your router may let you turn it on, the 802.11n standard, which has been a standard for quite some time and is the kind of the most commonly used fastest um, speed. We have 802.11ac, which is coming into vogue now. Uh, and, and what I'm about to tell you about N is also true of AC. If you have an 802.11n router, which normally could go up to, you know, either 150 or 300 or 450 megabits uh, per second, uh, the speed of if you turn on web encryption, the speed of that router's connection will be slowed down to 54 uh, megabits per second. No questions asked um, because that's part of the standard. They, they, they have baked in a limitation of speed into the standard to discourage people from using web. So there you go. Right. So yep. what, so basically my recommendation would be, now the thing is you don't have to choose between these. As you kind of pointed out, Dave, I don't, uh, I could do, only, I could only hide my SSID. I could only restrict on Mac address or I could, I could encrypt, but actually it's not an or in that I can do all three of those. And believe it or not, Dave, that's actually what I do. So I don't see any reason to abandon what you've done already because you spent time doing it, but I would certainly enable the encryption and that will protect your traffic from being monitored because there are utilities. I think uh, Kismet is one of them um, yep. where someone number one can see hidden base stations 
Um, and there are also several utilities that let you monitor. Uh, and, and eventually, if, if you're monitoring traffic, you can see the MAC addresses of devices that have permission to connect. So that's why I say if you live in the middle of nowhere, then maybe you'll be OK. Yeah. But um, but if someone monitors your traffic for long enough, they'll pick up one of the MAC addresses and they'll figure out your SSID and then your security is gone. But they can't figure out your password. Yeah. If your traffic's encrypted. It's encrypted. There's no way unless you choose a lame password. So that's the other thing. Don't choose a lame password. Sure. Don't use your phone number like I do. Uh, <laughs> What's your phone? <laughs> well, no, that's a good one. And, and maybe no. introduce. A, so you may want to introduce some special characters in there. Right. Right. So, you know, yeah, here here's my feeling on that. Being that we know that any geek that's anyone interested uh, is going to be able to figure out your SSID. Um, and anyone sufficiently interested can figure out your Mac address uh, or a valid Mac address. And then once they figure that out, changing the Mac address of your computer uh, is trivial. It is one line on the terminal. Uh, and it is uh, it, most of the line consists of the new Mac address. You run an, a command called IF config. You tell it which interface you say Ether because you're changing the MAC address of an Ethernet interface. Even if it's a Wi-Fi interface, you just say Ether because that's what the command expects. And then you type in the MAC address that you want it to uh, masquerade as, and it works flawlessly. So, and I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, to a Mac OS 10 hints article that tells you that. So, it, and and uh, and so I I only use um, WPA2 here uh, at the home office because. Uh, the home and office, I should say, because it's it's the simplest way for me to do this. If I had a Mac address filtering list, I would have to go to all three routers. And every time there was a new device, I'd have to go mm -hmm. add it to the stuff. Yeah. And and there's no reason for that, because people that want because the password is enough to deter anyone who doesn't it is deter is enough to deter everyone. Right. It, it So there's no reason to uh, eh. to do that. That's my no, I'll, I'll, OK. No, I'll, I'll disagree in that it doesn't hurt to disable the SSID and it doesn't hurt. The, though I would no. agree that, that well, managing the MAC addresses is a pain in the neck. Yes. Right. It hurts I, me I, I totally to disable agree. the SSID. Right. And right. in my case, in my case, um, yeah, uh, ideally, if you want to spend the time, I would do all of the above. I would hide your SSID. I would filter on MAC address and I would do encryption. But if you had to do any one of those, then I would say doing the encryption is yeah, it, that's mandatory as way. far as I'm concerned. The others right. you can do, but to me, they're not necessary. It, it, it's it's not worth the convenience versus security trade off. The, the, but but again, that's that as you pointed out, John, is a personal decision. And that's and that's fine. That's how that's that's the beauty of it. All right. Moving on with uh, with some Wi-Fi stuff. John, why don't you take us to Kaz? I'm going to take you to Kaz. So what does Kaz have to say? Some more what? This is like the Wi-Fi episode. So, yeah. hi, guys. I have two Wi-Fi related questions for you. Number one, what is the best way to increase Wi-Fi signal strength in my house? I currently have an Airport Extreme 2010 in the front northeast corner of my house where my iMac sits. The signal strength in my patio southeast corner is kind of weak, and I sometimes have trouble when I am on my MacBook Pro or iPhone back there. Should I buy an Airport Express and put it on the back wall of the patio inside, of course? <laughs> Or should I buy another router and put it in bridge mode? Should I answer the first one? Why don't I answer the first one first? Okay. Want me to do Okay. 
So I, I, here's a suggestion I had for the first one, Dave. So first, I would try something. Uh, I would do a site survey. Uh, a site survey is a way that you can uh, see or map the coverage of your uh, Wi-Fi. And uh, the, the, my favorite app to do this on the Mac is something called NetSpot at www.netspotapp.com. Um, and I would see if changing the placement may help out. Um, you know, I responded that, you know, Wi-Fi and RF is, is kind of like black magic and then nobody knows how it works, right? <laughs> it's yeah. just totally mysterious, but no, I mean, RF and, and antennas and stuff is uh, to me, I'm no, it, you know, it, not a hardcore RF engineer, but, um, RF can do crazy things that may not be, uh, immediately obvious and having a tool that lets you visualize your coverage, I think is something that's very valuable. Even for the uh, most knowledgeable RF engineer to, to place the, to call them on the phone and say, I'm having an RF pro you know, a Wi-Fi signal problem. What in, in five seconds, you have to tell me what the best thing to do is. It's impossible, right? Because they don't, there, there are so many factors to consider that, it, it it's not there's no simple answers, but we can give you some simple paths to head down. And that's where John's going here. Right. Um, and it could help you. And you could try a couple of things. You could maybe put it up a little higher, a little lower, maybe turn it uh, sideways, change the uh, orientation of the antennas. And maybe that'll change your coverage. Maybe not. But uh, if you have a tool that lets you mm. see that, then cool. Right. Um, and the other thing. All right. So if it turns out that, you know, it's just too far away or there's, you know, so much stuff in the way that, you know, you don't want to knock walls down to, to deal with it, then, yes, you you do want want to extend um, your Wi-Fi network. And uh, as you kind of suspected, there are a number of ways to do that. I actually do that here. Um, and I think the best solution, as my esteemed colleague uh, Dave Hamilton here has a uh, has a uh, uh, indicated Great. in the past. The thing is, is that the least desirable solution is to extend wirelessly because you're going to take a performance hit. So actually, I'm going to go backwards in my response here. So that is the it's probably the easiest way, but it's the uh, it, you will take a performance hit. No doubt. There's no question as to that. Right. Maybe it that'll might. work. Maybe you'll be maybe the speeds will be good enough where it won't matter to you. Or maybe it won't work at all. I mean, it, it, it's it's going to but it's going to be one of the two things you just mentioned, John. It's either going to work adequately for you or it won't work at all. But that's the best you're going to get out of, right. of doing wireless extension. Yeah. yeah, Like in my case, I have a pretty small place. Um, yeah. You know, like 1,200 square feet. So uh, for me, it works. I have one upstairs and I have one downstairs and, and it does it for me. And devices will intelligently pick which one they, they want to connect to. Um, the best solution would be to hardwire an extension to your existing router. And there are a couple of ways to do that. So one, as I mentioned here, would be a power line adapter. Yeah. Um, well, one would be Ethernet, right? If you can run Ethernet from. I, yes. Right. From your router to the extension, that's the best. But in the event that you don't already happen to have an Ethernet cable strung through your walls going between those two very specific locations, power line is an obvious answer in most homes and a relatively inexpensive one. Yeah, I mean the the set of two is less than a hundred. Yeah. Oh, less than oh. Yeah, you can. Okay, I mean, you can down. get them for right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. And Powerline for those of you that haven't been listening for all that long uh, or missed the episodes on it is um, they are little a little adapters, and you need a pair. So you put two of them and you plug them into your electrical outlets, 
and then they have Ethernet ports on them and you plug Ethernet cables in and in most homes you are done. And it's just like having an Ethernet connection between the two. And there's all sorts of asterisks after that if you have old wiring or whatever, but they don't need to be on the same circuit. I use it here in the house with with great success and pretty much flawlessly. Um, so, OK. Yeah. And. Uh, and well, Lincoln, I actually, you know, pasted this, but uh, Apple actually has a sh- short article basically telling you this um, okay. is the best way is to hardwire them together. Otherwise, yes, you can do it wirelessly. Um, so that's the answer to question number one, Dave. Yeah. And, and, and I think we can sum up question number two by quickly saying he's having a lot of buffering issues when streaming video content to his, from his over the internet. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Let let me shorten. So issue number two was, or is, um, has a, he's streaming video, um, and everything has been working great. And all of a sudden he's been getting a lot of buffering issues. So he shut off all the Wi-Fi in the house to, you know, see if that was interfering and he still has issues. Right. So my suspicion in that case, Dave, is that it's not a local problem within his household and that it's not a device in the household interfering. I bet a neighbor or someone has set up a Wi-Fi access point near him and it's interfering. Huh? Now, how are you going to figure that out? Oh, gosh, I mean, if there only there was a tool that would let you do something like that, Dave. Yeah, oh, there is. Right. <laughs> My favorite. There's there's a number of them, but the one that I've used as of late is uh, iStumbler. So what you do is you run iStumbler and it will show you all of the Wi-Fi base stations that it can see, the channel that they're on and the relative signal strength. And mm-hmm. then you got to look through the list and it'll list yours also, of course. And basically you want to go through this list um, see first if there's anybody else on the same channel that you are. Because uh, the thing is, well, depending on the, uh, I'm not sure how the, uh, did he say? Yeah, he says he has a Belkin. Um, I mean, Apple actually has a thing that says automatic. I think you can either, you can either explicitly choose the channel or you can have it automatically pick one. And, uh, but the thing is you want to see is anybody else on the same channel that I am. And if they are, then you want to move and you probably want to manually set your channel to something other than the channel that uh that you are on and then you can also look at the signal strength of the you know surrounding things and see you know which one is having the most potential to interfere with you and choose accordingly so that's my guess as to what happened i don't know if it sounded like you had another thought or you were uh, that was not the path i was going down but i oh, don't okay. di- but i don't disagree at all i you know i started thinking okay um and perhaps this is because I've had this happen, you know, is there some reason that your internet connection got slower? Did, you know, did, is your cable modem being flaky? Is your router being flaky or is, you know, is there another computer even an eat right? When, when you've got uh, computers connected both wired and wirelessly to your home network in a, what I'll call a normal configuration. And even what I have here is a normal configuration. So I think this is going to cover 99% of us. Uh, those are on a shared network. Okay. So if you've got one device or one computer that's not behaving properly on the network, that can kind of screw things up for everything. And by not behaving properly, I mean, you know, accidentally blasting packets out. I have an old uh, 2007, 2008 iMac in the house. And for some reason, that thing can crater my entire network and I, and I just have to shut it. It'll hmm. the machine will lock up. And when it locks up, 
uh, and this happens, you know, three to six times a year, right? Uh, when it locks up, it starts blasting what are called ARP ARP packets all over my network. And I can watch things cascade. It, I've, I've now learned, as has everyone in the house, that when this happens, it's that machine. Just go reach around the back, turn it off um, because it, it won't respond to, you know, trying to wake from a mouse or keyboard. And when you do that, slowly everything on the network comes back up. So it's possible there's some other device, even a non-wireless device. It could be even a switch. I had a switch in my house the other day. Um, and for probably a week, it was malfunctioning. Now, I have a lot of devices, you know, kind of strung through my network here. It's a little bit Rube Goldberg-y, um, but probably not with the, el- uh, the, the, uh, the, um, the elegance of a Rube Goldberg network um, would have. But anyway, uh, I had my router went offline and it wouldn't talk to the cable company like at all. It, you know, the cable modem was up, the router was up. But it wouldn't talk. And I turned I unplugged my router. I plugged in my spare router because everyone has a spare router that's ready and configured exactly as your main router. Right. Uh, And I plugged that in and that worked. And then a couple hours later, I figured, well, let me you know, I I got back up in business. I was running. And then I and then I I think I mentioned this on last last week's show or maybe after last week's show. And then a couple hours later, I went in and, and, uh, you know, put my old router back once I kind of got finished doing the work I needed to do and figured I'll mess with it and see what's going on. And it worked just flawlessly, no changes in settings, no nothing. And I had restarted it before. I thought, Oh crap. Now I've got a, you know, a mystery on my hands. Several days later, same problem happened. And, uh, this time I'm like, okay, wait a minute. What do I know about what have I learned the hard way, uh, about network devices and what I have learned is even in a router where you've effectively got two Ethernet networks separated, you have the, 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 the one port that connects to the cable modem, and that's sort of one layer. And then uh, you have the, the other on my router, four ports that connect to the internal network, the LAN port. So the WAN port versus the LAN ports. And I've learned that if you've got something on the LAN ports that is misbehaving, it can sometimes make it such that. The WAN ports uh, don't work and vice versa. So I started resetting things. And thankfully, the first thing I reset, which was a switch that I have right next to my router, I just power cycled the switch. Everything came back online. So it's possible you've got some other device that's just started misbehaving. And I've seen this with switches. You know, we all buy these cheap switches, you know, an eight port switch for 40 bucks or 30 bucks or something. And uh, they work great. They passed. In, you know, in information at gigabit Ethernet speeds. But sometimes something happens in there and it just gets tied in knots and you just got to power cycle the stupid thing. And uh, and so I and so that happened the other day. So that that was on my brain, obviously, John. And that's why I didn't jump to neighbor interference, which is also a, a, a again, a very likely, perhaps even more likely scenario. But uh, but it is helpful sometimes to go through and rest, reset just, you know, power cycle Every device on your network, uh, if you're having some weird problem and after each one, just test and see is are things better. Um, so that's that's my feeling. No, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, a final thought is that. Uh, all right. So so he said he's he shut off um, all the Wi-Fi devices. Mm-hmm. Um, a final thought is that Wi-Fi is not the only thing that operates on uh 
the frequencies that are used for Wi-Fi. And, and I think the primary frequencies are 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz. That's right. Yeah. Um, there are devices that also operate on those. I think the most notable is microwave ovens are typically 2.4 gigahertz. And I think a lot of uh, uh, some of the newer cordless phones may be in the 5 gigahertz range as well. So there may be a not a Wi-Fi device, but an RF device that may be uh, causing trauma as well. So uh, may want to consider that that's always something you may want to consider. If you, if you recently got a new wireless toy, maybe that's doing it because it sounds like things were great for a while and all of a sudden they started going downhill. That, that's so. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, right. The, 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 I think the, the, the kind of taking this up a level, the meta sense, something new was introduced or something was changed. The question is, how easy is it going to be to figure out what that is? And, and so obviously we, we make intelligently educated guesses about that by saying, Hey, what, what would actually impact this? And it might be something crazy. Like, you know, you got a new refrigerator and it blocks more of your Wi-Fi signal than you thought. <laughs> well, seriously. Right. I mean, it's a, no, you're right. It's big a big piece of big metal thing. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. But, but that might not be the first thing that jumps to mind. Like, Hey, you know, you don't really think about the refrigerator. It's not a Wi-Fi refrigerator. Why would I care? It's not plugged into the network. <laughs> you know, well, it sort of is in your network. It's just in the middle of your network. So, John, I want to talk about our second sponsor for this show, which is Smile Software. And we love Smile Software for so many reasons. They make so much great stuff. Um, and today, uh, as, as, as you may have heard me discuss uh, recently, but we get to talk about PDF PDF pen scan plus and uh, and this is an iPad and iPhone. It's an iOS app. Uh, it's available on the app store for four ninety nine and uh, US and it allows you with your phone's camera or your iPad's camera to scan a document. And by scan, we mean take a picture of a document. So very, very simple, something we've all done with our iPhones. And uh, and then it reads that in and it's got some super mojo in there that helps, uh, you know, straighten the document out. And uh, and then you kind of do some contrast adjustment to and, and it, it helps you with this to figure out, you know, what the best way to get the text is. And then you can turn that right from there into a PDF or you can convert the text on it into actual PDF text. Well, which makes the PDF much smaller and also editable, right? Uh, and you can save that as a PDF. And then, of course, you could edit that PDF in in PDF Pen uh, on the iPhone or iPad or on your Mac as well. But uh, but just being able to take something and scan it, kind of carve the edges out, and now you've got a document that's a PDF or a document in your iPhone, and then save it as a PDF is very very cool because PDFs are one of these things that I I just find them you know our our world. We live in a world that is kind of split between half paper and half electronic. We are not an all electronics world yet, uh, but we are not an all paper world anymore either. We, you know, email agreements are uh, are valid contracts, right? I mean, that and and I actually have a from decade a decade ago. I have a lot of the the winning lawsuit to prove that, right? The courts consider that the case. No, it's true, and it has been for a while. Do you have an agreement with performance? That's a valid contract, right? Uh, even if it's not signed by in actual ink or blood or anything, right? So, so you know, we, we're we're in, but we're still in the middle of this. And to me, PDFs are kind of the bridge between those two worlds because you can take 
a PDF that or a, a piece of paper, turn it into a PDF, apply your electronic signature to it and send it back to someone as a PDF. And now it's like paper, but electronic paper. And um, and and so the stuff that smiles doing with PDF pen scan plus and and PDF pen, it's very, very cool because you now have the ability to manipulate and create these things and turn and, and convert paper into PDFs in a mobile way. It used to be, and we've been doing this for a long time on our Macs and it, you know, it's great, but when you're out and about, you might not have your Mac with you. You've got your iPhone. So check out what smiles doing with this stuff. I mean, the software is, is cheap. It's five bucks. Um, and it's the kind of thing that, you know, you may not use it every day, but when you need it and having it right there in your pocket, you're going to be thankful. So go check it out. You can, uh, you can, you can start at their website. Uh, obviously it's an iOS app, so no free trial, uh, available, but that's just the way, uh, Apple has created the market to work. But, uh, but I've used it and, uh, and you can see from the screenshots that they have on the page there, uh, how it works and how it looks. And I think, I think you'll see very, very simple UI and, uh, and you get what you need out of it. So scanning and OCR and then the convert to a PDF. That's, that's kind of the big deal here is this, this whole, this whole arc is, is contained in just one app. So check it out. Uh, smilesoftware.com and it is PDF pen scan plus, or you can just go straight to the app store and, uh, and buy your copy there. So we'd like to thank smile. And, uh, and now I want to move back to, uh, we haven't finished with Wi-Fi yet, John. Like, I think, <laughs> We're I think not finished with you. <laughs> that's right. I think this is going to be one of those, uh, things, you know, because, because we needed a Wi-Fi episode. I think that's going to be the title of this one or something along those lines. Um, so now we've, we've talked about a lot of, uh, uh securing and, and signal strength, Zach asks uh, kind of the next obvious question in the uh, path here. He say he, he says, if my computer wants to reply, I think it's time for a new iMac, John, for the for the studio here. Jack says, is it Jack? Zach. I said, Zach, uh, I need some quick, reliable info on a good wireless router for my home. Right now, I'm getting 30 megabits per second wired and three to four wireless I know I need to upgrade my wireless router, but there's so many using the wireless uh, signal in my house is a 2006 MacBook and two iPhone fives uh, and a Nintendo Wii. So I don't need anything heavy duty. Any suggestions would be great. OK, so um, the cost of wireless routers is, is actually pretty low, even for the top of the line stuff. So I really I think your best bet and. Uh, is to to go with something and we're going to get geeky here because it's what we do that supports um, the MIMO three by three. I don't want to call it a standard, but uh, radio configuration. And and what that means is instead of just having one antenna for receiving data and one for sending data, that your device actually has three antennas for receiving and three antennas for sending. And while that and that offers two benefits, number one is if you have another device that has multiple antennas, uh, you can increase your speed substantially. Each of those on 802.11n, each of those antennas theoretically supports 150 megabits a second, right? So you can get up to 450 megabits a second if you've got two devices, uh, a client device like a, an iMac, uh, and the new iMacs do support 3x3, three three. Uh, and, uh, and your router, so you can get more speed. Uh, 
even with a and and if, and if your client device only has two antennas, if it's a two by two, then you get maximum of 300. And if it only has one, you get a maximum of 150. That's how that's how that part of MIMO three by three works. Uh, the other part is that it allows um, the, the way the standard works. The biggest problem you have with Wi-Fi is with data retransmissions. That's where the the speeds actually get knocked down. It's not uh, just a function of the bandwidth. It's how many times we need to resend the data because something interfered with it in between, you know, you and the source. And so we got to resend it again. And obviously if, if it takes you a second to send that blip of data, uh, if you need to resend it, it now takes two seconds and your effective speed is cut in half. What MIMO does is it has um, it allows for what they call beam forming, uh, which is where the device actually picks the best antenna to either send or receive data based on where you are in relation to the router. And this really can make a difference. So even with a device and I forget whether the iPhone five, how many antennas it has, I think it's just one, but I could be wrong on that. But even if you have a device that just has one antenna in the client device, Having three, uh, having a three by three configuration in your router, uh, not only increases your speeds for everything else because of this beam forming, but it also increases your range, um, for everything else. And, uh, and it also keeps devices from interfering with each other as much, uh, because of the obvious additional, uh, antennas that can be used. So I really, really feel strongly about if you're going to bother to spend money on a router, get one that that supports this three by three. When I jumped up to it, uh, Buffalo's were the first routers I used that had it a number of years ago. And it made a, it was, it was eye opening. It was hugely different. Um, but obviously Buffalo is not the only one. And in fact, Apple's new routers all support this too. So if you want something simple that you know is going to work and be configurable from all your devices, and you don't want to have to get super geeky about it, uh, Apple's routers are the way to go. If however, you would even have an inkling of wanting to get super geeky about it. In my opinion, Apple's routers are the absolute worst way to go because their software, the interface for configuring the router is very, very bare bones and minimal. And it's, it, that's intentional, right? But, uh, but there's no way to get into like an, an expert mode uh, on Apple's routers. They, they are just as capable as all the others. You just can't configure them. So, um, so that's why I've, I've sort of, uh, hitched my wagon to Buffalo routers. I trust them. And, uh, and I know that I can either, either with Buffalo software or with some third party software, I can get super geeky on these things and do things like, you know, put a VPN server in and, uh, and all that. So, and they're a little bit cheaper than Apple's routers too, uh, but they're about the same price, you know, for the, for the high end stuff. So, okay. Yeah. And the last time I did a non Apple. So currently I'm on the, uh, 802.11 N first generation, which does not have this MIMO thing. But, uh, when I, I thought you just bought an one, AC, uh, airport, well, I would, well, we, we talked about it, but I'm hesitant, Dave, because in, in trying, and it was actually in answering a question for someone else. So I'll try to r- rush through this they were pointing out what you pointed out is the apple software doesn't tell me this and this i think the question was the apple software doesn't give me a dhcp lease table and i came up with what i thought was a brilliant solution as well talk to it using snmp which is a standard that can 
beat data, get all sorts of data out of a router. And up until the 802.ac Apple one day, Apple did offer this way to do it. And that would have been the solution. Right. You can make a request or a query to the device saying, give me this list of IP addresses. And it would do that. But then he got back to me. So I found a utility that would do this. And then he said, well, I got the 802.11ac and it's yeah. not working. It's timing out. And I'm like, yeah, we just uh-huh. we just we just talked about that in like 474 or 475. But yeah, no, you're right. They took this feature out and because their target customer does not need it. And that's why well, I'm saying well, you are not Apple's- the people that wanted it. <laughs> well, oh, correct. Yes, because they-, they had the feature. Yes. Uh, uh, as far as I know, people would use airport in enterprise situations or educational or not just homes. And right. then some people use that functionality, whether it was to measure bandwidth or do something like I wanted to do is to get some detailed info that their software didn't provide. So um, again, not, uh, not the right router for you and probably yeah. not the right router for most of our listeners. I mean, you know, here's the reality, even if, well, it, unless you, I mean, well, it, it, it offers you a way to set up, like we talked Mac address filtering yep. and, and leases and stuff. I think it offers basic functionality but oh, it doesn't no. let you dig deep that's it and and i would i would venture to say that anyone listening to this show even if you aren't currently in a scenario where you'd want to dig deep uh if you continue listening to this show you will be <laughs> uh because we wind up talking about a lot of these things so so yeah i and i uh i know there are other good router brands out there uh but i have found no reason whatsoever to consider anything other than buffalo for for us here uh, at the house. Well, cause it, it's very reliable and they years ago, I found a, a third party firmware that you heard anybody that's listened to this show for more than two weeks has heard me mention. I found a third party firmware that worked initially only on Linksys routers, but now it works on lots called DDWRT. And it's sort of an open source firmware kind of thing. Um, and it's awesome because it took these, you know, very minimal bare bones Linksys routers, and turn them into super powerful things uh, because from just a software standpoint, it's just a little Linux box that your router is right. And so if you put the right software on it, you can do all kinds of great things. And so I found this DDWRT and love it. Um, And then the, but it was always one of these things where you had to get it onto your router in a very funky way. Uh, and then suddenly Buffalo came out with a router that out of the box from the factory supported DDWRT. This is not true of all of their routers, but they came out with it. And I was like, oh, finally, somebody's been paying attention. And indeed they were. Brian Varenkoff, their, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, their director of product development, I think. But, uh, but he was also a DDWRT fan, as it turns out. And he said, this is stupid that I'm hacking my own routers to put this on. Why don't we partner with these guys? So they did. Uh, and, uh, and that's sort of what attracted me to Buffalo is like, okay, we've got people in upper management here at this company that think the way I do. I like that. That's obviously perfect for me. May not be perfect for you, but it might be Buffalo's own software though is awesome too, because again, they think like me, they think like they're geeks. They make it very easy. They've got a nice UI, but if you want to dig deep, it's all there. So, uh, so that's why I like the Buffalo stuff and they're total geeks about getting the, you know, the, the wireless stuff to work. Right. So, so that's why I like the Buffalo stuff and it, and it's relatively inexpensive. It's, you know, it's not like super overpriced or anything like that. So, so yeah. So that's it. That's what I have to I'm say. I'm with you. My, yeah. my last, uh, the, yeah, my last non-Apple one was uh, the Linksys running the DDWRT. Yeah. And I still think they offer, uh, you know, Linksys dash Cisco now offers a, uh, yeah. Offers a decent they, line of 
Wi-Fi access points. They do. The one problem with the Linksys Cisco stuff is they don't have a lot of uh, RAM or NVRAM in their routers. So if you want to run DDWRT, there are, you know, most routers are built with the minimum amount of RAM and NVRAM to store the, the, the settings and the software that the manufacturer is going to provide. Right. I mean, why, why would you build it with any more than that? That that's just, you know, smart market economics. Well, DDWRT, depending on the router, might take up more RAM uh, or have more settings that require more NVRAM to store them. And so the DDWRT folks have had to come up with different sized um, uh, versions of DDWRT that cut different features out in order to fit them onto onto other routers. Whereas the Buffalo stuff, they put tons of RAM and tons of NVRAM on there because they know... People are going to use right, them. Check so, them out. So that, I did notice gotta, that over yeah. time, yeah, it, it became yes. increasingly difficult because they, yeah, I mean, to save money, you know, why have yeah. extra RAM or ROM if you don't need it? And so they made it more difficult for one to uh, upgrade it. So, right. so I'm with you on that. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, you know, and, well, we have, you know, people in our chat room uh, chiming in as well. Some people are kind of wary of links as Cisco. Uh, We've had one person say that they're pretty happy with Netgear and Asus. Asus would be the other one that, you know, I spend uh, probably more quality time than I should on the DD Wirt forums and Mm. uh, and the Asus uh, devices, kind of the higher end Asus devices are are also very, very come very highly recommended there. Mm. So. So, yeah. And I think there's some folks I think Pilot Pete has an Asus router that he's running DD Word on. Uh, So, yeah. 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 So, yeah. 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 The only one that had me shaking my fist is I did really, I, sh- I shouldn't have been surprised, but I, I did get one from uh, Monoprice. Um, and you get what you pay for, for 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had lots of features. The problem is it was unreliable. I, right. I would have to keep re- rebooting the thing. It would just all of a sudden wedge and nobody would get IP addresses. Uh, everything would stutter. Uh, you know, it worked for, you know, a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks and then had to restart it. Yeah, That's it right. Very disappointing. But then again, it was only 20 bucks. So, yeah. You know, I don't feel too bad. Cheap <laughs> and worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's how that works. So now it's good. I, uh, I love having discussions like this. It's excellent. 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 And it's that time again. It is. It is. We, uh, you know, it's how we roll. But it's fun while we're together and we'll be together again next week. And I think we might do either a full or even it may, it's certainly at least a half cool stuff found show next week. If not a full one, depends on how much stuff you folks send into us throughout the week. So uh, it's time to do a little gift guidey stuff. And, uh, and so next week's show might be perfect for that. So send in your cool stuff found to us and uh, you can send it to, um, well, there's a number of ways. You can start by sending it to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I'll agree with you on that point, Dave, is if you want to send anything to us in electronic format, then I would say feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the email address to do so, to do so with. <laughs> with you use with which to do so? We're going to have to ask Mignon Fogarty to get in here and, and sort out our grammatical uh, questions. Anyway, uh, I'm pretty sure we won't have Mignon as a guest in the next show, but maybe we will. Who knows? Uh, so, yes, feedback at MacGeekGab.com would be the right address. Unless, unless you are a current premium subscriber, 
in which case we encourage and love when you use the premium at MacGeekab.com address. And if you want to uh, help support us directly, you can do so. Uh, learn all about that at MacGeekab.com, and, uh, and we certainly would appreciate it. If you are interested in doing so, and if you're not, or if you can't, that's okay. We understand. Uh, please keep listening, and please keep doing what you do. And that's that's uh, that's excellent in and of itself, and is enough. All right, uh, you can also call us 206-666-GEEK, which John is forty-three thirty-five. That's what you say. Uh, where else can they find us, John? Well, they can find us on Facebook. Facebooks, Facebook.com slash MacGeekM, where you will see often when the next show will occur, you will see when the show notes have been lovingly polished and handcrafted by me. Um, what else on there? And sometimes we get into uh, small, small discussions there on Facebook. But that's not all, Dave. There's the Twitters. And if you're on the Twitters and you want to talk to, well, there's different people you can talk to. Uh, Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton to talk to him, John Efron to talk to me, Mac Geekgab to talk to the podcast, and Mac Observer to listen or talk, whatever, <laughs> uh, with news and all the other stuff we do at Mac Observer. I think that's it. Uh, you can visit us in the chat room, as we mentioned, uh, each week at macgeekgab.com slash stream. If you want to know when we are going to be recording the show, either to join the stream or just have a, 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 a to gauge your your uh, Mac Geekab listening timing, uh, we do publish when we are going to be recording the show live on our calendar, which you can subscribe to at macgeekgab.com slash calendar. That will automatically uh, link you in to our calendar and you can subscribe to that in iCal or BusyCal or on your iPhone or wherever you want to do it. It's all good. In your Google Calendar, it's all the same. So MacGeekup.com slash calendar. We do want to thank Michael Johnston, as I mentioned before, from GetAppler.com and also from uh, the We Have Communicators podcast. He converts this show to AAC for us and for you and will continue doing so until Apple exhausts all methods for him to uh to get that done because we know how many of you like it so indeed uh and for those we've got uh brian monroe in the chat room here asking when we are recording next week's show and i think it's a, an uh, evening recording evening eastern time which makes it 5 p.m about uh, 5 30 p.m eastern 5 15 p.m eastern sometime in there sunday on December 8th is when we're doing the next one. We also want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. They provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. We've been using them for years, almost since the beginning of uh, time, or at least Mac Geekab time. <clears throat> and we will continue to do so because they're flawless. Why else would we want to use anything else? The Podcast Marketplace, of course, uh, includes all the sponsors that stick with us with regularity here. That's uh, Barebone Software with BB Edit, Smile with PDF Pen, PDF Pen Scan Plus, Text Expander, stuff we couldn't live without, Gazelle for uh, giving us cash for the stuff we can live without, Squarespace for hosting, uh, which I do for my personal blog, MGG12, the coupon code, and of course, Mackie, you'll hear a little bit more about next week, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Again, happy Hanukkah to those of you that are celebrating it, or even if you're not. And uh, John, lasting advice for everyone here? Mm, I'm going to surprise you. <laughs> Please, especially during this season, don't get caught. 
made of.